All right, we are starting a brand new sermon series today to start off the new year. And uh, I don't say this very often, and so I don't say it very lightly when I say it, but this is probably the most important sermon series that we have done um, as a church. And uh, it's going to be, I believe it's going to kind of set the course for what God wants to do in our lives, what God wants to do in our church. And uh, it's going to be, it's going to be good. So I'm just going to get right into it. I got a lot to say this morning and in about, about 25, 30 minutes to say it all in. And so I just want to actually jump right into our scripture. And I'm going to be reading this morning from the book of Luke. It's in the second part of your Bible, the New Testament in chapter 18 of Luke. And it says this in this, this story about Jesus and a few other people. It says, once a religious leader... Asked Jesus this question. Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to inherit inherit eternal life? That right there is the million dollar question, isn't it? How How do I find life? And it's really the question that every religion on the planet is trying to answer. And on this particular day, the man who's asking the question is a religious leader. This man should know the answer to this question, but here we find him coming to Jesus with this question, how do I I inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds with a, a little playful sarcasm. Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And when Jesus heard his answer, he said, there's the one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And here's the key, key line that we're going to really be hanging out on this morning. Then come, follow me. Now, it sounds here like Jesus is after this guy's money and, and after this guy's possession, but he's not. Instead, what Jesus is after here is he's after this guy's heart. And he knows that, that if this guy's going to follow him, that Jesus knows he needs to be the king of this guy's heart, but there's some other things, some stuff that is sitting on the throne of this guy's heart, his money and and everything that he's bought with it. And so Jesus comes along and he says, sell it, give to the poor, and then come follow me. He could have easily just have, just as easily have said to this guy, okay, there's still one thing you lack, cash in your 401k and come follow me. Or he could have said, hey, see that thing in your hand, that smartphone, go uh, pop off the back of it, pull out the battery, put it on the top of your fridge for the next three years, and then come follow me. Or he could have said, hey, see that, that TV and that cable package that you have? I want you to shut it off, no more Seahawks for the next five years, and then come follow me. He is after this guy's heart, and he knows that, that there is something else on the throne of this guy's heart. And Jesus is saying to this man, if you want to have life, it means you're going to need to surrender your life and then come follow me. And how does the man respond to Jesus? The Bible says, but when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw this, he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, then who in the world can be saved? He replied, what is impossible for people is possible with God. Aren't you glad for that this morning? And then Peter said, 
We've left our homes to follow you. And, and by this, Peter isn't just actually talking about a physical house. What he, he means by this, and what some other versions of the Bible actually convey a little better, is that what Peter is saying is, we've left everything, Jesus, to follow you. And then Jesus replies, yes. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or mothers or parents or children for the sake of the, the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. These are words filled with hope for the longing soul. Jesus is saying that there is a way to have the life that your heart longs for. It is possible. If you're here this morning and you are longing for something more, Jesus is saying it's, it, it's possible. And, and so here we have this story of this religious leader coming to Jesus. And I, I can relate to this man on multiple levels. Um, first of all, like this man, I'm a religious leader. Of course, I don't like to be called a religious leader. I prefer to be called a pastor. But, but nevertheless, I'm a religious leader, you could say. Um, second, I know what it's like to live with the sense in my gut that something is missing. And this man in this story, he comes to Jesus sensing that something's not right, and, and he's looking for eternal life. And so this last week, I was doing a little bit of digging around into, in this passage and looking at what some different commentaries and Bible study tools have to say on this phrase, eternal life. And what this man is looking for is actually, it's not like he's some, some guy that's dying and he's out looking for the fountain of youth. He's not looking for that kind of eternal life. What he's actually looking for, he's not really interested in the quantity of life as much as he's interested in the quality of life. He, he's, he's, he's looking for something that, that he just doesn't have and he's confused and even more so when he considers that he's a religious man. He's not only been going to church, he's been a leader in the church. He's been following all the rules. He's never killed anyone. He's never stolen or lied. He's been faithful to his wife. He's been faithful to his parents. In fact, he's even been faithful to God. And yet something is still missing. And my story is similar to this guy's, just in a different era. Um, and what I want to do this morning is invite you into my struggle a little bit. Yay, right? <laughs> I want to invite you into to, to my struggle and frustration, and it's going to be a little cloudy for a while, but we're going to end off with a little bit of sunshine, okay? Sound good? Um, I grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor. When I was 16 years old, right around that time, I knew that I was going to be involved in church leadership myself, and so when I graduated from high school, I went off to Bible college. After I graduated Bible college that fall, I headed up to northern BC, way up to the far, far north, and got my first job as an associate pastor in a, a little tiny church in a little tiny town where the biggest danger was sliding into a moose on an icy road. And um, now understand for a second that, that I be believed in God with all my heart. I was a religious leader. I was following all the rules, going to church, giving up my time, talent, treasure, being faithful to my wife, faithful to my family, and yet I knew that something was missing. And I was frustrated because I couldn't quite put my finger on what that something was that was missing. I just knew that there was something missing. Not only in my life, personally, something was also missing in the life of my church, and I had a feeling that somehow these two were connecting, what was uh, connected somehow, what was missing in my life and what was missing in the life of my church. Somehow they were connected, but I couldn't put my finger on it. And so I did what anyone would do in my situation. 
I tried to fix it. And at first, I thought what was needed, and understand I'm coming at this now as, as, a, as a leader in the church, I thought that what was needed was just better weekend services. I thought, okay, if we could just have awesome music, transformational preaching, a great kids program, program that'll take care of things, but it didn't. And I was noticing how there were people in my church who had been attending our services for 30, 40 years, and yet they were just disconnected from, from the people of the church. They, they didn't have any meaningful connection. The love and friendship that I read about in the, the early church in the book of Acts and the Bible, it, was just, it wasn't there. And so I thought, I know what's missing. It must be community. We just, we got to have loving, caring community in this church. And so, wait, let's get some small groups going. And uh, we just need groups. So I got them going in our church. Um, on top of that, Becky and I started leading our own small group. And for the next 10 years, Becky and I would be involved in, in small groups within the life of our church. And we saw God do some awesome things through those groups. And yet, something was still missing. I noticed that with every small group I led, the same thing would happen about two years in. Almost everybody in that group would get restless. They'd get frustrated. They'd be like, there's got to be something more than this. And then they would end up fizzling out. Or someone within that group would drop a bombshell that nobody expected. They maybe would announce that they were getting a divorce. And we'd be going, what in the world? We had no idea that you were even going, th going through something. And... And I'd be thinking in my head, you know, I don't know what we were just doing the last two or three years, but it certainly wasn't biblical community. And so I'd be going, man, something is, something is missing. And next I thought, okay, I know what's missing. The church just needs to get on mission. We need to be all about reaching unchurched people. We just have got to get a mission in front of us, and we just have to go at that mission with everything we got. So you can imagine how excited I was nine years ago when I finally found this church, a church that had people coming to Jesus, people getting baptized who didn't know Jesus. I was like, okay, this is it. This has got to be what was missing. And yet, something was still missing. I noticed something that people would come to Jesus, they would get, ex get baptized, there would be excitement, as there should be when people come to Jesus, but then what would inevitably end up happening a lot of the time is that six months later, these same people that had given their lives to Jesus were getting baptized. They would just slowly fizzle out and drop off the radar. And I go, okay, that's, that's just not right. That's not right. That, uh, people just disappearing. People giving their lives to Christ and then just disappearing, disappearing because nobody knew what to do next. And frankly, we, we probably didn't even care what happened next as much as we should because if the goal is people coming to Jesus and getting baptized, then mission accomplished, let's just move on and, and, and reach the next person. Something was still missing. And one thing that I've discovered over the years is that discontentment with the current reality is often the beginning of a new and better reality. So often we settle for a life that, that is far below the life that God has for us and, and we, we settle over here. Meanwhile, God is saying, don't settle there. I have something way better for you over here. And, and one of the ways that God will begin to move us out of here is by this very unpleasant feeling that we have deep down in our soul called discontentment. Discontentment can be, it can be a bad thing. You know, you've got that 2016 BMW, but it's just not cutting it. You've got to have the 2017. That's where discontentment can be a bad thing. But other times, discontentment can be a good thing that God will use. 
And like this man in the story that we read, I found myself discontent, restless, feeling like something was missing from my faith and from the faith of so many others around me. This has been my, my journey. And I wish that we could just chalk it up to, to, to Rich feeling restless, but, but we can't. Because study after study, survey after s- survey within the life of the church reveals this, the same thing about the church. 21st century Christianity is a lot different than 1st century Christianity. Something is missing in the life of the church. And, and let me just give you some of the missing parts. One of the things that's missing is a faith that touches every sphere of life. There is a disconnect for many Christians between their spiritual life and the rest of their lives. It's church on Sunday, but then it's something else on Monday, whether it's school or job or marriages, whatever it might be. For, for much of the church across America, there's, there's a disconnect. And the end result, according to the research, is a church that isn't much different than the world when it comes to how we behave. For example, um, the percentages of men who regularly view pornography are roughly the same in the church as outside the church. Divorce rates are about the same. Domestic violence, drug, and alcohol abuse are just as prevalent among Christians as among non-Christians. Another missing part is people experiencing fruitful and fulfilling ministry within the life of the church. You know, um, when, you, when you serve in the, in the life of, of a church, um, whether that's teaching, whether that's um, being involved in kids' ministry, you're up on a worship team, whether you're maybe helping out at the food bank, it should be two things. It should be fruitful and that you know, okay, my, what, what I'm doing here is having an impact. It's making a difference in people's lives, and it should be fulfilling. It should be something that makes you go, okay, wow, I'm a part of a team. I get to be a part of making an eternal difference in people's lives. I am I'm doing what God has created me to do and designed me to do. It should be fulfilling. But the reality is that when many people would describe their ministry, they would describe it as anything but fruitful and fulfilling. Maybe discouraging, maybe monotonous, maybe tiring, maybe something to ease a guilty conscience, but not fruitful and fulfilling. Another missing part in, in the life of the church is a depth of love and care for one another that makes the world take notice. This is one that really gets me. Jesus said that the love that the church has for one another would be so different, so attractive, so beautiful that the world would stop and they would take notice. They'd be like, what is, what, what, Wow. What is going on with that group of people? That's what Jesus said. You'll, they'll, they'll know that you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. That should not be the exception. Yes, it happens from time to time. That should be the norm of the church. And, and something else that's missing is a biblical understanding of God in life. The research reveals that among evangelical Christians, so this isn't just among, you know, 75% of America would say that they're Christians. We're talking about people who would say, no, I'm a born-again evangelical Christian. The research reveals that fewer than one out of five have a worldview of even a few fundamental biblical beliefs. 20% believe that there's more than one way to heaven. 60% believe that the Holy Spirit is just a force rather than a personal being, which would kind of make us all Jedis, which is kind of cool, but it's just not biblically accurate, right? And and the reason for the lack of biblical understanding is simple. Studies show that the majority of Christians don't read their Bibles and pray. In fact, only 45% of those who attend church regularly read their Bibles more than once a week. Something's missing. 
Something else that's missing is the church being a countercultural, city-changing force. The book of Acts is this book in the Bible that, that it tells the, the story of how the church began. And it's kind of like a history book. However, God put the book of Acts in the Bible not just to give us a history lesson. God put the book of Acts in the Bible to give us vision, to help us see what the church could, could be and, and how it was meant to be a movement impacting cities and nations. And in Acts chapter 8, we read about how God is doing some just incredible things in this particular city. He's healing people. He's setting people free. People are, are getting saved. They're, they're just, God, God is at work in this city. And then listen to what the Bible says happened next because of all this. It says, there was great joy in that city. Not just great joy in a couple families or a couple homes or a couple church, churches. It says, there was great joy in that city. The entire city is being changed and transformed. And just a little further down in Acts 13, God's working so powerfully in the city of Antioch that the Bible says almost the, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. This is the church being a countercultural, city-changing force. Something's missing. This has been my journey. And from talking to many of you in this church, it's been your journey as well. And, and like me, you've been on a quest to find a church that has what's missing. Some of you, some of you think what's missing is better preaching. You'll say things like, you know, we weren't getting anything out of the last church that we were in, but we were getting fed here, and it's been so good. And, and i got to tell you, I'm flattered, but better preaching isn't what's, what's missing. It's not the answer. Some of you think the answer is better programs. You're excited that we have a student ministry. You're, you're thrilled that we've launched Celebrate Recovery. You're, you love what's happening in men's and women's ministry. Listen, I love and believe just as strongly as anybody else in the ministries and the programs of this church, but more programs and ministries is not the answer. And some of you think the answer is a smaller church. Many of you have said things to me like, you know, we went to a bigger church, but we felt lost in the crowd. Something was missing. We felt like what we needed was a smaller family feel. If I could have a dollar for every conversation I've had along those lines and with people in this church, I would be a very wealthy man. I'd be wealthy. <laughs> but let me just tell you, smaller churches, and for that matter, bigger churches as well, are not the answer. Now, all of these things are, are perfectly valid things to want to have in a church, um, I personally want better preaching. This guy up here can be monotone. Um, he can be predictable. He says um and uh and stutters a lot. Um, I, I want better programs. Uh, furthermore, I don't want to go to a church that's cold and un unfriendly. I would rather be at a church that's warm and caring. You, you know, you show up and it's like that movie Cheers. Somebody at least knows your name kind of thing. However, if better preaching better programs, better music, better outreach, better family feel, if all these were the answer, then when that young, rich, young religious leader came to Jesus and said, hey, what do I got to do to find this life that, 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 that I'm after? What do I have to, what, what do, I have to do? If, if all those things were the answer, Jesus would have looked at him and said, you just need to find a better church. You know, find better, more impactful preaching, teaching. Find a church, I mean, it was a synagogue back in those days, but find a church that's smaller or find a church that's bigger. Find a church that has better programs, better music. Get in a small group. Serve more. Reach out to people who don't, don't know who I am. 
But Jesus doesn't say any of that to this man. In fact, his invitation to this man is much more simple. It's much sweeter. So much more life-giving. He says to the man, essentially he says, surrender your heart to me. Get rid of all that other stuff. You know, the stuff that you think is bringing you life, but in reality it's actually sucking the life right out of you. Get rid of all that stuff. And then he says, and you have to catch these next few words because these are so, so key. They unlock the door to what's missing. Jesus simply says to the man, once you've surrendered your heart, then come. Follow me. Come follow me. And, and moving forward, moving forward personally and, and moving forward as a church, there, there are two, two changes that God's asking us to make on both a personal level and on a church-wide level. Two, just two changes. And the first is this. There, there needs to be a new focus. And the new focus needs to be a life of discipleship. A life of discipleship. Now, you, you say that word discipleship, and, and, and looking out, I know a lot of you here have been around the church for a long, long time. And when you hear that word discipleship, you come up, you've got a thousand different ideas of what that looks like. That word discipleship has become fuzzy. It's become churchy. Um, it's become confusing over the years. Um, and, and if I was to ask each of you in this room, what, do you, what does discipleship mean? I'm pretty sure we'd have probably about 20 different definitions of what discipleship means. Now, over the next several weeks, we're going to be getting into exactly what that means, that, that word discipleship means. But, but for now, you just need to know that one of the big parts of discipleship is simply following Jesus. It's following Jesus. Not following a program, not following a, 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 a person. It's, it's, it's essentially following Jesus. The heart of a disciple is to follow Jesus no matter the cost. To follow Jesus no matter the cost. And Jesus, he invites us to make, that, to make that our focus. The church, and especially the church leadership um, over, the year has, over the years has been good at focusing on everything but that one thing. And, and we put our focus on, um, and, and I'm calling out myself in church leadership, we put, we put our focus on how to get more people attending, on how to serve our community better, how to improve our programs and services, how to get more people into small groups. We put our focus on all that stuff. And you know what's really interesting to me is that Jesus never once came along and said, hey, what I want you to do is go and build my church. What I want you to do is go and, and figure out a way to grow the church. Not one time did Jesus say that. And yet the focus of much of the church, especially here in North America, where bigger is always better, the focus has been on church growth. What Jesus does say, though, is he says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, they're not going to prevail against it. I'm going to build my church. And then he says to us, what I want you to do is to go and make disciples of all nations. It's like he's saying, you focus on making disciples and let me focus on building my church. You make discipleship, you make a life of discipleship what you're all about. And you let me worry about, about the other stuff. Our church's leadership here at CTK Ferndale ha has been on this incredible journey over the last few years. There's been a lot of prayer. Uh, your church leadership, I mean, we have been just diving into Scripture and just tearing it apart, trying to figure out what exactly it is that God wants us to focus on, what this is all about. I mean, we've made long trips. We've even traveled over dangerous, snowy passes to visit churches that are doing discipleship well. And let me tell you, we are crystal clear laser focused on what the primary goal of this church is going to be. The goal of this church 
is, is to make disciples who will make disciples. That's the goal. This is not a new goal. It's an ancient, ancient goal. Handed down to you and me by the one who is the head, the shepherd, the chief pastor, the visionary leader of the church himself. Jesus, in his final words before parting this earth, he said, uh, the Bible says he came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's it. Everything we do needs to have this end goal in mind, period. And it's a big goal because it's not just about me following Jesus. It's also about, notice the goal is not just to make disciples. It's to make disciples who make disciples. So the goal is not actually just for, for me to be following Jesus personally. The end goal is that I would also be helping others and teaching others what it looks like to follow Jesus. It's a big goal. And the first big change that needs to happen is a new focus. And the second big change that needs to happen on a personal and on a church-wide level is a new method. You see, if you've been around the church for a while, when you hear the word discipleship or talk about making disciples, what's the first thing that probably a lot of us think about? We think about, oh, we're going to get some cool discipleship classes. We're going to have discipleship 101 and discipleship 201 and 301 and 401 and 501, 601, 701. And then we're gonna all going to get really smart. We're going to have lots of stuff up here in our heads. Others think about um, maybe small groups, or maybe you think about discipleship, oh, we're going to get some better preaching finally. Or you think about programs. Jesus actually showed us the best way, the best method for discipleship, this following Jesus. He showed us the best method for this to happen. The church has been trying to figure this out for 2,000 years. Meanwhile, why don't we just go back and see what Jesus did? Why don't we just go back and look at how, how Jesus made discipleship happen? Again, notice he didn't say to the rich young ruler, surrender your heart and then start going to church. Surrender your heart and then get in a small group. Surrender your heart and then go to a class or a program. Jesus simply said to him, come, follow me. And what Jesus is doing here is he's inviting this guy into relationship. He's inviting him into relationship. And, and this is old, but the new method... Discipleship, it's discipleship through relationship. Yes, weekend services have their purpose. We wouldn't be doing them if they didn't. Yes, we do programs. We do student ministry and, 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 and celebrate recovery and kids ministry and all that stuff. Yes, all those things have their purpose. Programs have their purpose. But the primary method that Jesus taught us for making disciples was life on life, loving, caring relationships. And who doesn't want to be a part of that. Who doesn't want to have somebody in their life that cares about them and loves them and wants to see them become all who Jesus is creating them to be? Who doesn't, somebody in your life that, that loves and cares about you that much? That's the method, the new method. And every single one of us who considers ourselves a follower of Jesus has been called into this life of not only being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, but we have been called into the, to this life of making disciples, making followers of Jesus. We've all been called into that. And uh, you see, you and I, we, we contain this message that we call the gospel. 
If you're part of the church, you're, you, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, you carry this message called the gospel. It's the good news about a God who loved us enough to give his life on a cross to save us from our sins and, and to show us how to live life to the full. He didn't just come to save us for eternity. He actually came so that we could, we could find out what it, what it means to live and have life to the full, to walk in freedom, to walk in wholeness. It's a message that's too good to keep to ourselves. There is a world in need of this message and the hope and the life that it brings. And if you're here this morning and, and you don't know Jesus, he invites you to follow him. He invites you to, to, to pursue him. If, if there's an emptiness inside of you, you know, you, you will spend your whole life trying to fill that emptiness with, with everything but the one person who can satisfy that emptiness. It's Jesus. And he comes along to you and he says, come follow me. And if you're here this morning and you do know Jesus, you have put your faith and your trust in Jesus, listen, he invites you to live a life that's far above the life that you and I are living. He invites us to live a life of following him, a life of being a disciple, and a life of making disciples of Jesus. And the question for all of us is simply this, how will you respond to his invitation today? Because he comes to you and he comes to me, and his, his, his invitation is the exact same today that it was 2,000 years ago to this rich, young, religious leader. He says, come, follow me. Come, follow me. And how will you respond today? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, yeah, you're, you're alive. You are just as alive today as you were 2,000 years ago. And Lord, I know you are right here in this room. And Jesus, you are, you are asking us, will you come and follow me? And Lord, I'm pretty sure this morning maybe this is, it has resonated with, with, with a lot of people in the room. And, and uh, but God, it's a, it's a little scary because, Jesus, we, the thought of not only being a follower of you, but, but helping other people be, be followers of you and taking this gospel message to those in our world that don't even know you. And God, it's a little intimidating. And Jesus, it's, it's a little scary. But Lord, this is the life that you have created us for, that you are calling us, inviting us into. And so, Lord, I pray that today, I pray that God, over the next several weeks as we dive into this, this series, and God, as we become all about this as a church, I pray that, Jesus, we would be people of faith, I pray that, Lord, as we, as we embark on this journey of making disciples who make disciples, I pray, Father, that, Lord, we would get to know you better. I pray that we would know um, how it is that you've created and designed us and wired us, and that, Jesus, we would just know a life of influence, God, that we would know a life of, of making a difference in the lives of our neighbors and friends and family and the people that are sitting beside us, in front of us, behind us. God, may we know a life of purpose and significance as we follow you. And Jesus, I just want to pray for this church in specific. And Father, I pray that God, you would, you would help us to obey this command that you've given us to go and make disciples, not just of, of our church and of our community, but God, actually to go and make disciples of all nations. God, help us to do that. This is a God-sized, impossible job that you have given us to do. But Lord, like you said, it is possible with you. What's impossible for man is possible with you. So Father, I pray for your help in this. And God, may our church never be the same. God, may our, our neighborhoods, our community, God, may it never be the same. Father, as we follow you and surrender our, our whole heart, 
mind, soul, and strength to you. I pray all this in your good and awesome name, Jesus. Amen.